Any leader of any organization, um, not just the church, but any organization, any company, any work, any business and activity, should at various times reflect on whether it's perhaps time to move on, time for a change. Not primarily because you, the person, gets fed up or wearied or whatever else, but because it would be the right thing to do for the company, the group, the organisation, the church, that you ultimately are responsible for. And so any minister should really do that and, and, and have to think through that at various times in my ministry, in their ministry. And I certainly did that way back in 1998, and up came your Mount Vernon at Carmyle and reflected through, and there was various things happening then that suggested that perhaps it was time for myself and Elizabeth and our family to move on, although we had been very encouraged and, and helped them and dear folks there, and, and, and we valued that. Um, but we, nonetheless, we tested the waters and tried out and prayed about various things, and, well, the rest is history. And I have to tell you that various times in my time here, especially when you get on after a number of years, um, we've had, I've had to do that and think about that. And I can tell you now, I, didn't, I told some folks at the midweek meetings, but about maybe five years ago, I really wondered if it was maybe time for me to consider to move on. Not because I was tired of you or wearied of you, but just because perhaps it was time for a fresh chapter and a fresh situation within the life of the church here. And somebody you to come and to help to lead and to the flock of God. But it very clearly came to me, and I, and, and I don't often get these kind of very clear things. I had one once in Mount Vernon, as I say, when we were thinking about moving in the past. But this came very clear, and it was actually like more like a picture. I'm not saying it was a vision, it was a picture of me holding some folks' hands, some folks here, and saying, it's going to be okay, we'll get there. And I really wasn't very sure what that meant, because I'm not saying I've got the gift of interpreting dreams. But it was a very clear thing. I did think of what it might mean, and I'm sure it means some of those things. But of course, I have to say now, I think it actually meant COVID-19. And, and that I didn't know, the world didn't know, that COVID-19 was going to happen. But... I would like to think, I hope so, and I'm sure actually is the case, that during these last 18 months there has been some, even if we can't physically hold hands, although sometimes you have to, but it has been a time of holding hands and saying to one another, it's okay, we'll get there. And God knew that was going to happen. And that's a great comfort. If you've ever been, as I say, that applies not just to ministry in the church. It can apply to a job. It can apply to a, a, a different situations where you have prayerfully thought and reflected and wondered. Then when that hindsight, as I said last Sunday, hindsight is a great thing. And when hindsight, God uses hindsight to say, well, you see, you didn't know, but I did. And now is the time to move or now is the time to stay. That that's a great encouragement and reminds certainly me just how big God is. He holds everything in his place. That's why at the very beginning of our service, we read that call to prayer from Romans and Paul's great dexology. Let me just read it to you again, because it's, it's, it's amazing where he says this. If I find it for you, I'll read it. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Here is the God who's sovereign of the nations. Here is the God who in Jesus Christ holds that history, the scroll of human history, and the history of his people and his church. And here is a God who sees things we cannot see and understands things we cannot understand, and in his sovereign grace and mercy works out his purposes so that all things, even bad things, all things can work together for the good of God's people as we're called by God and as in faith we trust in God. And as we turn this morning to the story of the book of Haggai, we see that hand at work. We did a series of sermons in the book of Ezekiel. And if you'll remember, there was warnings there of God's judgment, but also the promise of restoration. And the book of Haggai picks that up at a time of restoration. When Ezekiel was in the desert, when his wife died and he had to act out some of these parables and we jumped over a huge big chunk of the book of Ezekiel, even I would have struggled to get through all of that. But nonetheless, as he did through a whole host of things in the midst of a dry and barren land, and even as he shared the word of promise and of restoration, there must have been times when Ezekiel felt right puggled, not just physically, but in the spirit. And at times wondered, these visions, this promise, these warnings, would they actually do what they said they were going to do? Would they bring what was supposed to happen into place? Well, they did. The historical setting, and I'm not going to overly dwell upon that, but the historical setting for this prophecy actually is in the book of Ezra. And perhaps later on when you go home, you can turn to the historical book of Ezra. At the beginning of the book of Ezra, I'm just going to read a few verses. At the beginning of the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and verse 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then we read of how the various people brought in their gifts. And in verse 7, King Cyrus brought all the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar carried away from Jerusalem, and had placed it in the temple of his God. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Merodach, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. That in itself was an amazing thing. The story of Daniel. You see how the Old Testament all knits together. That, that's why we need the Old Testament, because it's the story of God's sovereign works in history and in times, and amongst people, some of whom were, were pagans when they started, but people like Cyrus came to faith, non-Jewish people. God sovereign through all of that, and he was at work in the mysteries of what took place with Daniel and all the rest of it. And Cyrus, that pagan king who had come to faith, was the means by which the restoration of the Jewish people in their homeland began. 
However, so they returned. And interestingly enough, the proclamation was to build the temple. However, they got to the land of Israel. There was opposition. There was hassles. And you can read again in the book of Ezra about all of that. And later on, the carries on that Nehemiah had. There was various things happened. And the temple wasn't rebuilt. And so in Ezra chapter 5, we read this. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Idol, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Josazak, well, whatever, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. There was a time where they needed to be reminded of what was happening. And that's what the prophecy is that we're reading here. Notice what, back to Haggai, notice what happens. The prophet Haggai gets up, brings God words, and what does it say? This is what the Lord Almighty, verse 2 of Haggai chapter 1. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, we may well remember, back a few months ago, there was quite a debate in the media and indeed probably quite a big debate behind the scenes amongst the government, both in Edinburgh and London, uh, with SAGE committees and all the medical experts and all the rest of it, as to whether the time had come to lift the restrictions. And even people, and if you followed that story, even those who were concerned about rising rates, and we certainly have, what was on Friday, 7,000 cases. Um, is that right? 7,000 cases, I think it was on Friday. Um, and there is a slight increase, thankfully, because of vaccines, only a small increase, but nonetheless a slight increase in those who are going into hospital and those who are not well. With all of that, the, the sense was, amongst those that we looked to for wisdom and guidance, that if now wasn't the time to open up, when would it be? It certainly wouldn't have been November or February when it's raining outside and it's dark and we're all stuck inside and we can't really do things. It would need to be in the summertime when the flu wasn't so apparent. It comes later on in the year when we could get out and about, where there was more fresh air, where there was sunshine, all the things that would help to make the transmission rate less, although obviously this Delta variant is far more transmissible. And so, although there were many reasons for saying, let's keep things restricted, let's keep things to degree locked down, yes, we could have done that, but apart from bankrupting the, bankrupting the economy and causing great social problems amongst people young and old, there would never be a perfect time. And so the restrictions have been lifted. As I say, we'll see what the autumn brings to us. But you see, my friends, in any stage in life, we can always find a reason for saying, now's not the time. Shouldn't really embarrass Gregor, but I'm going to a wee bit because it's a good illustration. They came when Gregor got engaged. We had a lovely evening with Sarah, obviously, and her mum and dad. And I remember Gregor jokingly suggesting that perhaps the wedding might be a few years down the line. Sarah wasn't the best impressed, was she? <laughs> We can all dither. We can all have good reasons for putting things off. We need to get this done. Or we need to get that done. We need to get this fixed. Or we need to be in a better place. Or whatever. And yes, sometimes those reasons are real. The people who returned to the land of Haggai had to get on. They had to build homes. They had to provide shelter for themselves. Of course they had to do that. But in God's timing, and in the bigger scheme of things, there is times 
when we have to just get up and get on with it. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. And the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, challenges that. Look what he says. The Lord Almighty says, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And so with the excuse of now's not the time, there's this has to be attended to, that has to be attended to, the Lord says, well, just look at the reality. Remember last Sunday we spoke about reality. Well, look at the reality of the situations you face. You think you have plenty of time, but look at the poverty you're falling into. Look at the fact that your crops are not bearing fruit. Look at the fact that you're working hard, but don't seem to have very much to show for it. All of that, the prophet says, or God says through the prophet, is a sign that actually you've got your priorities long. Remember Jesus and well-known verses, probably perhaps some of the most well-known verses there are in the Gospels in the Sermon on Mount when Jesus challenges people there to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness before all other things. Remember what he says about worrying about this, that and the other, but how at the end of the day, hear these words, well-known words. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Or a single cubit to your height? Sometimes you might think I wish I was a bit taller. I wish I was looking a bit better. Worrying about it will do nothing. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And these last 18 months have been a time when we've been forced to refocus and to rethink where our priorities are. What really should we worry about? What are the claims and calls on our life? And for the Christian, for the believer, and for the church then the things of God must take precedence. Because if we lose sight of that, then actually the Bible would suggest we're going to lose everything. He who thinks he has much beware, lest he falls. And the prophet says, you expected much, verse 9, But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, 
because of my house remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I called for, called for a drought in the fields and the mountains and the grain, the ewe wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. The plight they were in was a direct consequence of the wrong priorities. It's not yet time to rebuild our house. The Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. And the people we see in response to that obey. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the Lord. Now you well know that isn't always the case in Old Testament history. So often they were told one thing and they turned the deaf ear. Of course, that's why Jesus says, he, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. We can hear things, we can take stuff in, but we can fail to allow it to percolate through our lives and impact on our priorities, who we are and what we seek after. The Lord's people here, thankfully, had learnt their lesson. They'd learnt their lesson from their ancestors. They'd learnt their lesson from their history. They'd learnt their lesson from the problems and trials that they had not long before journeyed through. They learnt their lesson from the past so that they were wiser and more obedient in the present. And that's always a challenge, isn't it? There's going to be a government inquiry as to the situation to do with COVID. And surely the hope is that we will learn from that, as a nation, as medical people, as the government, everything else, we'll learn from that so that we can be more prepared in the future for something similar. And we can look at some of the issues that COVID and the consequences of it brought up so we're more able to build a better society. We hear people talk about the new normal, whatever that new normal really is going to be, we do not know. But it's vital that we learn from the past so that we're more able to deal with the present and face the future. That's essential to living. Yet the truth is, as Christians, we're often, like everybody else, slow to do that. Israel was slow to do that. And we can be slow to do that. Learning lessons from the past so that we don't hark back to familiar but fail ways, but so that we're more in step with what God wants us to be and do in the present, and in the future. Well, God's people here did learn from the past. And when God spoke, they did. And we read as we draw to our close, Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to his people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. We had a lovely time on Thursday afternoon at the manse, in the garden of the manse. Members of the Ladies' Association gathered together, and we want to pay tribute to Pat Robertson, particularly who led that. Janet has, for understandable reasons, laid aside at the present time, but Pat led that and was keen to see that. And there was a good turnout and a lovely spirit. Yes, the sunshine made a difference, obviously. It had been raining and it had been a wee bit of a challenge. 
And yes, the, the nice food that had been prepared by Pat and by Elizabeth added to the sense of enjoyment and happiness, but that sense of a new beginning. Yes, things will be different. Times may be different. How we do all the meetings may be different. They may have to be different for various regulations, whatever else. We accept all of that, but can I say, ladies, I was deeply heartened by that desire to look to the future and to move on. And I've been deeply heartened, heartened by the congregation. Yes, it's been challenging. Coming back's not easy. This is not ideal. I, I stand here and I remember the singing. We're going to come to that another week or two. The singing of the congregation. We didn't have to wear our masks and we could all be together. And compared to that, well, it's certainly not the same. But we're here. We're together. We love the Lord and we love his house. And for those of us who are able, we know that there are some folks laid aside, but for those of us who are able, I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said, to me. That's not the case up and down our land. Congregations are struggling. People often, dare I say, with due respect, that's not the case here, so make clear that's not the case here, but often younger people are holding back. Large congregations with large congregations, maybe a third turning up if they're lucky. That's not been the case here. How we give God praise and thanks. And there's a very clear connection as we're obedient to the call of God. And from the very beginning on a Sunday morning, as I sat in the vestry, my wife said to me, sometimes you're overdoing it. I kept saying, this is not how things should be. But I kept saying that in various ways because we had to remember that this, and not just this in terms of scattered like this, but you know what I mean? The gathering of the Lord's people, the service of our community, the moving on as a congregation, that is what we are called to be. Yes, there was a season for being locked in our homes. But there's also a season for rising up and rebuilding. And I would want to commend you as a congregation for responding to that. And notice what happens when God's people obey and do what he says. Look what happens. They came and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty. Yes, because the Lord was with them. Verse 13. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the Lord. The Holy Spirit delights in being and working within his people. We all have faults and failings. We all have fears and concerns. None of us knows what the autumn might bring. I, five, four, five years ago, wondered about the future and whether I should move on. We have all of that. But above everything else, we have the promise that Jesus, by his Spirit, is in the midst of his people. And his kingdom will come. And his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you, ladies, for an encouraging afternoon. Thank you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, for a work of rebuilding that's only just begun. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this season of rebuilding and restoration. And we come with our concerns. 
our wonderings about the future. But we hear your word, Lord Jesus, not to be so overwhelmed with our worries that we lose sight of you and your promise that you would build your church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. We thank you for each other. We thank you for the means of technology that have allowed us in the past on Zoom and in live streaming and still in live streaming to communicate with other brothers and sisters in Christ, not just here within our own community, our own congregation, but wider afield. Some of us in the managers on Tuesday night were quite stirred as Gregor shared with us a whole series of connections with different people in China and other parts of the world. Lord, we thank you for that wider church of which we are but a small part but for that call to your church in this day and in this generation to rise up, to rebuild, to reclaim, to be renewed. And so with thanksgiving and with faith and with love, we commit ourselves into your hands, O God our Father, for this great building project. All for the glory and honor of your name. Amen. So let's sing together a hymn that speaks of that, of rising up and of rebuilding. 1213 is in the mission praise. 1213, O church arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. And we'll stand to sing. Let's say together the words of the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.